since we are doing uh, this a little bit different, we are going to have the, the kids dismissed to fifth and sixth grade class and our youth for the discipleship class at this time. If you want to bring them back in for our worship, we can do that too. I'm just throwing everything out, basically. Not everything, um, but of how my planned message was. And, th- and this first service was great this morning, and it, and it was a, a good time of reflection, but I feel God is just moving in a different way. I think that's okay to do that. You know, we, we get to experience God's movement, His voice, be sensitive to that. And I believe that um, through this, we get to... Um, have the opportunity to experience God in a, in, a, in a new way, new, fresh way for you. Dealing with it, this, this sermon series has been good. It's been um, really good. I've really enjoyed it because we're dealing with those emotions, those human emotions of, uh, well, our heart, heart change, attitude, what our mind can drag us down into with thoughts that just don't need to go there. And we have emotions that go out of control that just don't need to get out of control and and we are we're, we're we're training ourselves to let the spirit of god move to keep into control right self-control the fruit of the spirit some of the things that need to be controlled in our lives now this topic tonight today i don't ever say tonight i always say today this topic today is different because this is an experiential type emotion. We have there's different experiences that we can face in our lives that can create this this feeling of um, of loneliness. It's a difficult topic. Now I, I almost didn't want to preach about this because it's just difficult. There's not a whole lot of jokes about loneliness. You know, there's not a whole lot of lighthearted stuff. It's it's kind of a heavy one. In fact, this whole series of deal with it is a little bit heavy. But we're getting into some of these things that people we need to identify with. And I can I just say that the church is a great place to peel off the masks. We don't always do that. But this topic of loneliness seems to be the one that we peel off last. It's the easiest one to hide. We can have our job. We can have, the, we can have everything going right for us. But the mask of loneliness, we can just put that on and keep that on. We don't want to let people know that we're lonely because there's just something inside of us that says, I don't want to admit that I don't have anybody. And there's those of us in the church. I'm not going to say the, our church. I guarantee they're going to be identifying with this. Coming to church every single week, surrounded by friends and family, surrounded by people that have known for years, who, who believe in God's word, who have trusted in God. God has brought them through the ups and downs, and yet it's, they come to, to church, and there's this mask that we put on of saying, I'm not lonely. And it's a protection. And it's not bad. It's just that, that we need to just kind of remove that and say, where are we? Let's be vulnerable. Let's just be honest. Because when that vulnerable, honest response, we allow that to come out, transparency there, and when transparency is there, oh man, the fruit of the Spirit is just thrusted into an area where we can just grow. We can't grow without transparency. Now, not all of us are in a lonely position. I want to make this a general thing that everybody's here, but we have been there, we've been lonely, and there are some people right now who are struggling with this topic. I want to release you and say it's okay. 
right? It's just okay. It's all right. I want to read a few stories of how this can look, how loneliness can look. We're going to get into First Kings chapter 18. If you want to turn there, you can put your finger there. We're going to dive into the story of Elijah. But I want to read a few stories, just of an examples, some examples. And maybe this is you. When I'm reading this and you identify with this and you say, yes, this is me. Maybe it's the person sitting next to you. Maybe it's somebody that you know. It might be somebody that you don't know. The thing with loneliness is that we tend to wrestle with this by ourselves. And I want us to kind of just peel that off just a little bit to look just a little bit deeper than what we see on the outside because on the inside, there are some people hurting and broken and need restoration from God. And I want to give a very simple tool at the close of this of how we can uh, combat this and fight back the tool that Satan uses to get at us through loneliness. Ernie, Annie, George, and Betty gives us some examples of what loneliness can look like in the lives of people that we know or maybe experiencing ourselves. Ernie is a hardworking man. He's a family man who's always blended in. He's the average guy, except that he has a few secrets that few others know about or even suspect. And lately, Ernie has felt very lonely. What makes it more difficult is that even he doesn't understand why it's not normal for him to experience this he's a he's a loving father he has a loving family he's he's very friendly at work and at church he's known as the guy that that uh, people can go to he's a believing christian who knows that jesus will never leave him nor forsake him and yet still he can't shake this unsettling feeling of being disconnected and alone there's annie she's a single adult And she's generally fun and warm and capable. She's a bright woman. And Annie has a lot to offer the world as a worker, a friend, a mentor, a volunteer. And most people tell tell her that she would make a wonderful spouse and a mother someday. But her pursuits just seem to lead lead to one dead end after another. Whether hers is a case of love that never lived or a love lost and seeking to reclaim, the hauntings of her loneliness are the same. And even in church, it seems everyone else everyone else already has their own group of friends and they don't need or want to add any more. It also seems that no one knows how to relate to her as a single woman. George is a kind and sensitive man. He just turned 50 last week. His whole life he struggled with a seemingly natural, melancholy, constantly feeling lonely and depressed constantly struggling with life's worries. George knows that he's branded for his pessimistic outlook on life, and he struggles greatly with the feelings of insignificance and worthlessness. And finally, there's Betty. Betty's a wonderful woman in the sunset years of her life. For all but a seemingly distant few of those years, she's lived the ups and downs of life's journey with her beloved soulmate, Fred. Not quite a year ago, God called Fred to his home in heaven. And as a woman of strong faith, she knows that God is there for her, but she's also living with a stark reminder that she has a need for human companionship, to be with people who can simply just be in each other's presence. And her loneliness has been deepening and and sadness and the temptation to just pull away from the world and await her own homecoming 
is at her front door. These are just some scenarios of what people can feel through the hardships of life. And it hits everyone, and it's not just these people. It's the stay-at-home mom who's just continually surrounded by kids, who doesn't have somebody who she can call upon and trust and just spend time with an adult would be great. It's the busy working man who is struggling with the stress and responsibility of management every single day that just consumes his mind during the day and at night. It's hard for him to find rest. It's the college student who's overwhelmed by figuring out how to set up life for success. It's the person who sits by themselves and is just totally given up on trying to figure out how to have a friend. So they've just come to the conclusion that they're just fine with being alone. It's the person who is surrounded by friends, and it's the last person you would think would need a friend, but in fact, they are struggling with loneliness. Someone who they can really count on, somebody who they can have a heart-to-heart to. You see, loneliness hits a lot of people. And I wonder if the church setting... It's hard for us to open up about that because we do. We do not know that God is with us. We do know that we are here for each other. And on Sundays, we do gather strength from one another. And we do feel lifted up. But deep down, there's just that feeling of when I go home, I'm just right back to being by myself again. And so we almost live this roller coaster of life. We know what we should be. We know who we should, should be counting on. We know that we have a friend that, cl- that sticks closer than a brother. We know that God is always with us. And yet internally our human emotions are saying the exact opposite and we're struggling. And so the mask is, is that we say all the right words, but deep down inside we're just struggling. And we don't want to admit that we're lonely because if we say that we're lonely, then we're we're not recognizing that God is with us. And we may know that he's with us, but we just don't feel it. I want to get a couple things straight. More than a couple. About four things straight about loneliness. Number one, just because you're alone doesn't mean you're lonely. If you're an introvert like me, you treasure and you cherish the alone times that you have. I go fishing, I get out, I go hunting, I go hunting by myself because it's my time with God. I love it. I need to be alone. I love being around people, but it's by myself that it fuels me to be around people effectively. If I'm around people too much as as a big setting like this, it can overwhelm me and I almost kind of just, I can start feeling it. I need that alone time. Jesus himself needed isolation just to be alone, to recoup and gather strength. If you, so just because you're alone doesn't mean that you're lonely. And some people really just like being by themselves, and they don't feel lonely. So we can just assert that and say just because someone is alone, we can't just have the perception that they're lonely. Number two, just because somebody is surrounded by people doesn't naturally mean or necessarily mean that they feel loved. So it's just the opposite, and the opposite is true. So we're talking about scenarios and people, and we're talking about relationships and knowing people and knowing who we are because we're all ticked differently. We can't just base loneliness on what we see. That's the point. 
So just because somebody has so many people in their lives does not necessarily mean that they feel loved. Three, feeling lonely. This is important. I want us to all listen to this. Feeling lonely doesn't make you a failure, nor that you're unsuccessful. Just because you have that feeling of feeling alone, and it is kind of robbing the joy, and you're uncertain because you just don't have that relationship that you want with another person, doesn't mean that you're unsuccessful. Doesn't mean that you failed. And just because you feel lonely does not mean that that is the reality. Just because you feel like you're all alone in something doesn't mean that you are. Some of us have a tendency to play that card that I'm so alone and nobody's, nobody's there with me. I've got nobody with me. We're just playing that card. Really, it's a victim mentality to negate the relationships that you have in our lives. And, and we may honestly feel that way, but we sometimes have to step back and say, okay, what is the real perspective here? And that you aren't actually alone when the temptation of our human spirit comes and shouts and screams to our mind that you're all by yourself and no one understands you. That is sometimes a lie that we begin to believe. So those are some things that we kind of need to set up the framework of being lonely. God has designed us to be together. He's designed you and I to be together. And the Spirit of God is powerful when we're together. On Sunday mornings, there are powerful things that happen. And we pray for the powerful working of God's Spirit to break chains of an evil spirit that is oppressing you all the time. Knocking at the door. Trying to hold you down. Attacking. And getting in in, and robbing your life of joy, of peace, and the things that we can hand over to that spirit and sometimes this spirit of loneliness can get into the way or get in the way of the spirit of god's joy and peace that he has for you in your life how do we confront loneliness when this happens the example that we see in scripture is not just one example which we're looking at elijah in first uh, kings chapter 18 we're looking at elijah it wasn't just elijah who was feeling despair and alone and even after the event of calling fire down from heaven which we're going to read after this jezebel it comes to make a promise to go kill elijah and he runs and is afraid after this extremely epic battle And God shows up in the most amazing way. You would think that you would never have to be in fear at all if you saw God provide this way. But he does. And he he isolates himself and is depressed. And he's all all alone. We see it in Job. He's by himself. And he's got some friends who just really didn't turn out to be such great friends. His wife even told him that he should just curse God. He was all alone and isolated. He had everything ripped away from his life. His kids, his wealth, everything was gone from him. He's isolated by himself. We see Jonah when he ran away from God. How many of us ran from God and we just felt like we're alone? Yes, but he wasn't. God called him back. He was alone in that fear. Jesus himself, when he was on the cross, cried out to God, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? He was feeling alone on the cross, taking the weight of the world upon his shoulders. And so we see that it's not just something that a sinful humans experience they are godly men and the son of god himself experienced a moment where he felt isolated from god because sin of the world was so heavy on his shoulders 
And loneliness doesn't make you a failure. But it is something that we need to confront. First Kings chapter 18, the background and the setup of the story before Elijah comes and calls down the fire from heaven to prove who God was in front of the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of the Asherah. The, the, they were living in the, the, town, the, the, the region of Samaria. And Samaria was facing this extreme drought and famine. And it was there because King Ahab and Jezebel were not following after God. And this was basically a punishment of God from them turning their back away from him. Not following after God. So there was this extreme famine where Ahab says to Obadiah, Obadiah, I want you to go that way and I'm going to go this way and we're going to find uh, a spring and we're going to find some grasslands where we can feed our animals because if we don't, we are going to have to eat our horses and our cattle because we are out of food. This was a desperate, dire need. It was, uh, uh, the, they were in a, a very, very bad spot. There was people to feed and it, there, everybody was starving to the point where they had to eat their, their, their horses that pulled the chariots. Obadiah all the while was a believing uh, man. He believed in God. He feared the Lord. And yet he was still in, the, in that, that region or that uh, leadership with King Ahab who did not fear God. And especially his wife, Ahab's wife, Jezebel, who was a very evil woman. And here's Obadiah who is serving the Lord, loves God, in leadership of, with, the, with the, a king who did not. And all the while this famine is happening, Jezebel is going out and killing all the prophets of God. He, she is on a mission to kill them out. And Obadiah, behind the scenes, behind the king's back, he goes and he hides 100 prophets of God in two caves, 50 in this cave, 50 in that cave. And he's providing food and water for 100 prophets of God. And can you imagine the stress that Obadiah is feeling? Going against the king and his wife who are set on going after people of God. And here is Obadiah behind the scenes. Obadiah leaves. He goes to go find a spring of water and some grasslands. And he meets Elijah on the way because God told Elijah to go meet King Ahab. And he runs into Obadiah. They have this conversation. And and, uh, uh, Elijah says, I want you to go and tell King Ahab that I want to meet him. And he says, no way. He's going to kill me. He knows that, he, that, that um, I'm going to have a conversation with you. And he's going to ask where you're at. I'm going to try and have him find you. And not going to find you. Because who knows where the Spirit of the Lord is going to take you. And they're going to come back and kill me. So he makes a promise that he's going to be where he's going to be. And they're going to set up this meeting. And Elijah comes to the king and he says, I want you to meet me on Mount Carmel. I want you to meet me there. And I want you to bring your best prophets. We're going to battle this out. Elijah comes to Mount Carmel. And he's meeting 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah. That's just the prophets and the people gathered with him. We can assume it's at least a thousand people. And he stands alone in his loneliness. And he confronts evil by himself. And in verse 20, 
of chapter 18. So Ahab sent the word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people. All eyes are focused. The attention is there. They're waiting to see what he's going to say. He just gathered up the king's men. Before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? See, the point is, is they knew. They already had the choice and they chose to serve idols. They chose to go and pursue something other than God. They chose. They knew who God was. And yet they're coming to a point that said, this idol is better. And he comes to, what are you going to choose? How long are you going to go from this and into that? How long are you going to waver between opinions? How many of us know that when we're wavering between opinions, that's the most lonely place ever because you have no place where you stand, no identity, no ground. You have nobody to identify with. And they're back and forth. And he says it straight and clear to them. He says, if, you, if the Lord is God, follow him. Make it up in your heart. Make it up in your mind. Do it. Make up your mind. Stop being lukewarm. Stop pursuing this and that. Make up your mind. Who are you going to follow? He is speaking to them. The God, God is just a, is using him as a voice to speak to people. And it's to convict them, to turn. He said, I'm going to preach. I'm going to tell them, so, show yourself so that they will turn from their ways and go back to you. If it is the Lord, follow him. But if Baal is God... Follow him. But the people said nothing. He takes a stand, and I can almost imagine in his mind, once I say this, people are going to be on my side. Once I announce this, make a decision, it's going to turn some people immediately, and we're going to have a little bit of a group there, at least out of a thousand. There's got to be a hundred who's going to say, okay, I'm going to stand with you, Elijah. But nobody said a word. And he found himself in a desperate, lonely position. All by himself. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. He's making this claim right up front. I'm going to stand in front of you and I don't care who's with me. I don't care who's against me. I know where I'm going to settle my mind up. I know where I'm going to settle my heart. And I know that God is going to be with me. And I'm going to stand here alone. And I'm going to confront this by myself with God. And we together are going to show God's presence here in front of everyone. Because at the end of this meeting, everybody knew who God was. And who God was wasn't i'm going to jump to the conclusion of this message and work my way backwards this time if you're feeling alone and you feel like you're by yourself and you're having to take a stand at work and you're feeling isolated at work. Every person who has taken a stand for Christ because of the, 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 the 
um, what God has spoken to you through his word and the convictions of his word and standing with that, you know what that's like. If you have had to do that at work, you know how that isolates you. That doesn't mean that you're alone, but you can feel lonely. You've ever been in that situation with your family where you may be the only Christian in your family and everybody else isn't. They don't believe it. They don't understand you. And you may feel like you're just separated from them. You have separated your, yourself from them. Not on purpose. You've tried to reach out. You've tried to show love. But just because of your beliefs in God has totally made you this island. And now you're kind of confused because you have such you used to have such a close relationship with your family. But because of your faith in God, now you stand alone in the truth that you have. It may be the closest friend that you have had. You've known him or her since elementary school. And because of your faith in God is different than what they live out. And your beliefs and what your convictions are has totally ruined a relationship. And it's almost a compromise. And you're having to stand alone. And fight back the feelings of loneliness. But you're not alone. How do we confront the feelings of loneliness in our lives, in the relationships, in the people that you have in your life? Elijah, what he began to do was build up the altar and prepare the altar. After they have, uh, the prophets have built their altar and whipped themselves and caused themselves to bleed and calling for the power of a bale to come down and they never showed up, of course. Elijah was doing something with that altar. It was pre- pre- preparing for worship. If you're alone today, I'm just going to speak right to you. If you're alone today, the best antidote for loneliness is worship. And I want to just be specific about this because there's many avenues and many definitions of worship that we can use. And we can say spending time with God in a quiet place is worship. Yes, we can say that, that uh, spending uh, a time in his word is worship. Absolutely. We could say that uh, um, giving up offering and, and tithe is worship. Absolutely, all of that is. But I think that there's something specific about singing to God. Music. Entering into a place of worship musically. Can I just say that? Let's just target this area. There's other areas of worship, but I want to talk about the aspect of eradicating loneliness in your life that is not healthy. And the best way to feel and find the presence of God is to spend time. Let me say this. One of the best ways is to spend time in worship, in music, and letting that comfort your soul. David, when he was alone, would play music. When, when Saul was angry, David would play music. There's something about music that God has created to tap into your soul. You see, it doesn't have to have words to tap into your soul to find comfort. Even the natural world senses a comfort in music. But God has ordained that to be a spiritual soul food. And 
one of the best ways that you can defeat loneliness in your life is to begin to set up and prepare your heart for the fire and the passion of God that will come down when we prepare our heart as an altar towards God in an avenue, in an environment of saying, God, I'm going to worship you. Rest in music that is God-honoring. I'm not talking about the Beatles. I'm talking about worship music. I'm not talking about getting a secular song and changing the meaning for our own heart. I'm talking about Christ-honoring, Christ-centered, full of faith, empowering music and words that is going to feed you and remind you that the truth is that you're not alone and that you don't have to believe in the lie of the feelings that you feel like you're alone. How do we deal with this? We prepare our hearts for worship. Preparing the heart of worship. We hear that. We want the fire of God to come. Do you know why we play, we play music? We worship music before the message typically? Because there's a preparation of the heart and the soul that God is stirring inside of us through the avenue of music that opens us up and prepares our heart to hear the word of God. The, the ministry of the worship is so incredibly important. And maybe we've missed out on that opportunity that's given to you every single week. I want to invite you to view this as God's preparation for you to no longer feel alone, isolated by yourself and the attacks or accusations of Satan or the enemy towards you. Build yourself by allowing God to come in to a place of, of worship inside your heart. Allow that presence. But you have to prepare just like Elijah. He came up with this, with the altar. It was his turn. He says, step aside, guys. You've been praying all morning. It's noon. It's past noon. Now it's evening. Let me show you how it's done. Grab 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. I want you to grab the wood. I want you to prepare this. Now I want you to go down. I want you to get water, which was an extremely valuable and rare resource. And I said, I want you to waste it on that altar. In their minds, it's a waste. He said, I want you to go get water again, and that's going to fill up the trench around. And I want you to get water again and dump it, waste it upon that altar. Wasted worship is never wasted, though. Worship does cost us something at times, though. You see, as Elijah was beginning to build this altar and he was having the workers around him prepare this altar in the way that he was instructing them to honor God, it took time, it took effort, and it took faith. And some of us need to realize that we have a preparation, a work. There's a cost of coming and laying ourselves down before God and saying, I'm going to build something so that God has something to use to glorify himself through me. And are we building the wrong things? You see, are we building... An altar or are we building up walls in our loneliness? Many times in our loneliness, we begin to build walls. The poor me attitude. 
everybody hates me, nobody likes me, I might as well go eat worms kind of mentality. Those are walls that begin to be built. Are we building the right things? Build the preparation of the heart. Let God soak in his presence in you and begin to build something that will honor God and light a passion and a fire inside of you through the spirit of God. Through the avenue of worship. Build. Prepare. For what is ahead tomorrow. Your feelings of loneliness today. Sometimes the biggest trap of loneliness is that you feel like that's just going to be the existence of your life from here on out. That's incorrect. That's false. And what you're doing today is going to prepare you for tomorrow. If you're building up walls, you're going to find loneliness tomorrow. If you're building an altar in an area of praise and thanksgiving in your life today, you're going to find his presence tomorrow. The attitude of worship today prepares you for what God already has in store for him. But if you build up walls and you start feeling, you start living out those insecurities, you start living out those fears, you start self-proclaiming who you're not, you're not going to be able to see or experience what God has for you tomorrow. And you will begin to live tomorrow just as weak as today. And so you may be confused because you're saying, God, I want what you have for me tomorrow. But at the same breath, you're saying all the things that God doesn't want you to say. Nor do you need to say because it's destructive. And it's not building an altar towards God. An altar of praise and thanksgiving of gratitude. An altar to that, that, that of faith that says, God, I'm not going to, to live in this place, but I'm going to build and prepare for what's tomorrow. You see, the miracle hadn't happened yet. While he was building, there was no answer, no voice from God saying, you're doing a good job. Keep it up, Elijah. Yep, I told you. That's right. You're doing good. There was none of that. He had to step out in faith and begin to pray or begin to build and begin to, to put the impossible situation before God moved. How many of us are saying, God, you move before I believe in that impossible situation to be done? Wrong. Know that God is going to move when you see that it's impossible. Build the heart of worship of anticipation and expectation that God's going to move in your future tomorrow. The loneliest place is believing that God's not going to move. And if you believe that God's not going to move tomorrow, all those things of preparation that need to happen today just won't happen. And so there's no preparation for the fire of God to fall down on the altar because the altar isn't being built. We're not laying out down the foundations of our own faith being received and what God is doing inside of us. We have a responsibility to believe. God sets that in us. You come to me with belief in your heart. You can't believe, you can't please me if you don't believe who I am and believe that I exist and diligently seek me. But many times we get it backwards. God, put the fire down, then I'll build whatever you want. Many times God put the passion inside of me so that I can do this. I think a lot of it is, Lord, I'm going to do it whether I feel it or not. And I'm going to prepare for the miracle that I believe in that, I, that, that you are going to do when I don't see anything today. You see, it's just like the Israelites ready to cross the Jordan. They had to step in the water, and then the water stopped. Then it was built up. At that time, God, God showed up. He, they knew what to do, but were they willing to step in that water? 
It would have been a whole lot easier if they walked up to it. There's the Jordan. Look, it's already parted right over there. Let's go that way. Then there's dry ground. God says, I want you to prepare today for what I'm about to do tomorrow. And you may not even have a hint or you may not hear my voice. You may not even know or feel like you know that I'm there, but I am there. And the question is, are you going to believe me despite what your feelings are telling you? And when time comes, I'm going to prove that I was with you by what I bring to you tomorrow. So you may have to experience the miracle of tomorrow to know that you experienced God and know that he was with you yesterday. Experiencing and believing and knowing what tomorrow will bring will prove that God was with you yesterday. What are you going to do with your feelings of loneliness in the today? Are you going to build walls or are you going to build altars? Altars of faith of what is to come. And I can promise you, and it's not really me promising you this, it's God, that God has specific plans for you tomorrow. And it's not going to hinder you. But he has plans to bless you. And you're not in this alone. You're not in this alone. When we prepare our hearts for worship, God will respond to that. And that's exactly what that that altar was. It was a consecration. It was um, Elijah's offering. His worship was built in that altar as God responded to his act of worship towards God in front of everyone. God will respond to your worship. It may cost you. Now, we're going to talk specifics here. It may cost you your pride. Some of us are terrible singers. But you've never sung because you don't want anybody to hear your voice. It may cost you that the person in front of you hears your terrible voice. So what? Can we just say that? I don't care how bad the person is behind me or in front of me. If their heart is expressing worship, I'm engaging myself. I'm like, this is good. It feeds me. Your terrible voice feeds me. Because I know that this, it's not about the voice. It may cost you that. You may have been, I, have, I had somebody say, I don't, I, I love church. And that was, this wasn't here. Um, I love church, but singing is just silly to me. It may cost you thinking that this is silly and just going to go ahead and Build that altar before God and say, I'm just going to build this in faith and see what you do. See how God responds to you and notice what he does inside of you. And you may be feeling lonely when you come in here, but you respond and you react and you act out into a faith atmosphere and build that up. 
God's going to respond and give you his presence like never before. You may be seeking God's presence, but have been closed off to building the altar that is required for you to receive God's presence for you. Do we hear that? And the requirement is coming to him in faith. And there's all areas of faith that we can come to God in. Let him respond to our action, our heart of faith together. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. We're going to put this together. I mean, we're going to just enter in. There's healing in entering in together. There's healing in honesty and vulnerability and transparency. There's healing in music. There's healing when we're together. There's healing in realizing that God is with us and that we don't have to have our mind set up on a reality that isn't there. There's healing in saying, yes, I'm hurting, hurting and broken. There's healing in responding to God in that emotion. You can sing to God with your pain, with your hurt, with your loneliness. That's an expression of worship out to God. When Job cried out to God, he never sinned, but man, he sure said some vulnerable things. And he was extremely transparent. And he's, we're not telling God anything new when we express our heart. So we might as well just voice it out. Now, I'm not saying, you know, cursing God, that sort of thing. But let's go ahead and let our heart be expressed. We, let's let God put his fire and that passion inside of you and light something that we are preparing for. And loneliness, no matter where you're at, will fade away because you will know a greater presence by the power of His Holy Spirit inside of you that will build you, that will comfort you, and bring you peace that we all desire. Let's stand together. I'm going to I'm going to open up the the altars. This is the altar. This is, this is something where God does his work. We come to the altar. We lay it down before him. We 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 position ourselves and just in adoration, we, we can kneel before him. It's an expression of our heart. It's a physical act that says, I'm taking steps of faith. It's uncomfortable. Maybe there's people looking at me, but I don't care. This is between me and God. Building that altar of pursuit. Allowing God to respond. We're going to dedicate this worship time. This is just as it is. It's, a, it's an offering to God. We're going to offer this to God. We're going to offer it to Him. This is His. We are just, just pointing praise. We are, going, we are just going to do what we do. If you want to be quiet and you want to sit and you want to pray, that's okay. This isn't about having to be how loud we can be. This is about your expression of worship to God. What is God doing in you? Allow Him to do that in you. Rest. Worship. Praise and loneliness, confusion will flee. Isolation. Allow God's presence 
to fortify your soul through worship. Sean, can you hit these lights here, these two middle lights, please? You're invited to come up here, pray where you're at, sing where you're at. Let God move in you in worship.